Hey everyone, I'm Jonathan Grzbowski and this is a Blind Entrepreneurship bonus episode brought to you by Penji, a podcast that helps entrepreneurs and business professionals execute their vision to profitability. On Thursday, July 18th, Penji in 1776 collaborated to facilitate a conversation about breaking the stigma of mental health in the workplace. Now this is a topic that we discussed previously, but we ended up taking this uh, on, on the road with us because of the how successful one of the past um, episodes were on our Penji Masterclass. The panel consisted of Penji's Director of Partnerships, Sakina Brody, as the moderator. The panelists included uh, Triana Martinez, a Life Readiness Director at HopeWorks in Camden, Tanya Ladipo of the Ladipo Group, and Ellen McGosh uh, of NeuroFlow Science. And Andrew, again, these are, these are some awesome names. Andrew Ominous of Mining Your Mind. The hour-long discussion and Q&A consisted of the panelists digging into their own experiences with mental health and providing insight for destigmatizing the conversation further. The four business professionals spoke about creating a safe, open culture in the workplace and how they hold themselves accountable, strategies to avoid burnout, and how damaging the 24-7 grind culture or hustle, hustle porn as they may say, can be. One of the quotes that I think stuck out in my mind was, and, and, and this is as follows, being able to have a platform to advocate for mental health and wellness is really important. There are so many people who are struggling in silence, and I want them to know that they are not alone. And it's okay to seek help, even if that is just a conversation. I hope you get a lot out of this episode. The audio isn't 100% amazing. Uh, it was recorded through a boom mic in the middle of the event. Um, and so it you will be able to hear a little bit of backup background noise. But for the most part, you'll be able to hear everything. Uh, and, and it'll be relatively clear. But um, I don't know if this is a uh, headphones type of episode. Uh, more so, I would say that it's probably better to listen to this in your car. So enjoy today's episode. All right, so we're, we're going to get started. Uh, good evening, everyone. Thanks for coming out, uh, taking the time to be a part of this conversation about breaking the stigma of mental health in the workplace. Uh, another thank you to Scott, I don't know where he's at, but uh, for hosting, <laughs> for helping to organize and host the event here at their space. And also a huge thank you to Penji for sponsoring uh, Camden Startup that does a lot of community events. So thank you to them. Uh, my name is Sakina. I'm the Director of Partnerships at Penji. And I'm also uh, the host of a podcast called Shades of Success and a mental health advocate myself. Um, so I'm joined by four incredible panelists who I will allow to introduce themselves, uh, starting with Ellen. Hi, I'm Ellen McGeough. Hi, I'm Tanya Ladipo. I'm the founder and CEO of the Ladipo Group. We are a consulting and counseling company that specializes in working with the Black and African American communities, providing individual couples and family therapy. Hi, my name is Shana Martinez. I'm assistant director at HopeWorks for a youth development job training program. I'm also a licensed professional counselor and a doctoral candidate at Montclair State University. Hi everyone, I'm Andrew Onimus. I'm a speaker and I work for Mind Your Mind. We're a nonprofit. We do mental health education, mostly in schools, but we're kind of breaking out into companies, communities. We share our own personal struggles of mental health issues, many times crisis, but more importantly, recovery, and the steps we took to get happy and healthy again. Awesome, thank you. Uh, so the first question is for, I'd like to hear from everyone on this one. Um, what were some of your first experiences addressing mental health, whether it was with your family, with your friends, or in the workplace? Do you all remember what your first experiences were? And how does that um, affect the way you address it today in your adult life? Andrew, you want to start? Yeah, sure. Um, I think the first time I ever heard of mental health was pretty young. Um, I lost an uncle to suicide when I was probably two years old, but we never really talked about it. Um, I didn't know that he ever struggled. I didn't really know him because um, I was so young. But we kind of swept it under the rug as a family, and that's kind of what happens because it's a really hard topic to talk about. I just wish looking back, because I didn't really struggle until I got into the college years, that we talked about or addressed it at some point, even if it was a really hard conversation to have. Um, I think I would have looked up some things about depression or anxiety or eating disorders or suicidal thoughts 
just to see what some signs symptoms are. But I never had that. So I think at a young age, I, I heard about it and it scared me. I, I remember always thinking like, why would everyone, why would anyone ever do that? Um, and I didn't understand those feelings or those thoughts until I experienced them myself um, and how scary they could be. But more importantly, like that there are resources for help if you ever do run into those situations. So I think that's the first time at a young age, but then I experienced it when I got into the college age the first time that I really thought about or, or um, heard about mental health. When you dealt with that in your college years, did you have any type of support system? Or were you kind of just scared and alone? Yeah, I was really lucky to have had the support I had. Um, I think the reason I waited so long is because I had to stick with myself. I didn't understand what I was going through until I hit kind of rock bottom. I had an awesome family that I'm really lucky to have that I know not everyone has. Um, so I, the first person I reached out to was my mom and then I went to counseling at my school and then I got the help elsewhere. I went to a little bit of outpatient and group therapy, got some medication when I needed it with sleep and depression, but um, I was really lucky to have a lot of support. Um, I just I just wish that other kids, families knew that that support is out there, even if it's hard to find that right away. Keep trying because there are people that will listen. There are resources and amazing organizations like the ones right here that will provide support for those situations. Well, first experience being aware of like mental health. I would say college, but. My adolescence years, I just think of them as the dark ages. Like I hated high school and adolescence. Um, just being in an abusive household and the trauma that came with that. I, I think my survival skill was like disassociating and focus on school so that I can go away to college and get out of here. And so that's what I, that's what I did um, until I left and went to Temple um, and then even when that happened, I was breaking tradition. So before uh, coming here, my parents' generation, everyone would leave the household once they got married. I get this message over and over. We came here for a better life, get, get education, and here I am trying to get education, but I wanted to move out of the house to do that. And now all of a sudden I'm breaking tradition, I'm awful person, and so my family kind of stopped talking to me, um, aside, aside from my mom. So freshman year, I just remember crying a lot every day. Um, and then by sophomore year, it just got worse because then the crime, it became all this inward I did for so many years was not coming outward, right? So like getting really angry, um, underage drinking at parties, and then now I'm picking fights with people and arguing and then crying again. Um, and it took my, uh, who's my best friend now, that happened to be an RA, happened to get some training in like providing support and resources for the residents, right? He told me like, Trina, I don't know what's going on. Um, I just, I don't think it's normal for somebody to be crying like this much every day and I really think you should consider a counselor. Um, and so that's when I went into counseling. Because before that in the Latino community, uh, mental health is not talked about and if, if someone seems off or like they, they need more support, it's like that person's crazy. Yeah. If they're, see if they're seeking treatment, it's because they're crazy, they lost their mind or they were weak is the other message, so. Did you see a lot of those patterns uh, repeated as you got older? Like you said, you couldn't wait to get out of the house and kind of run away from the problems that you had at home. Um, you were self-medicating and stuff like that, burying yourself in work or whatever it was. Did you see a lot of those behaviors uh, repeated as you got older or did you kind of get out of those? No, so repeated but it will look differently. So I'm still, I'm a recovering perfectionist. I'm still working on it. Um, but a big piece of that, uh, adds to like the anxiety and stress that I put on myself. And then when I got into the doctoral program, the imposter syndrome that I was facing there too, which is why I had experienced another depressive episode during that time. Um, so when I entered counseling in college, it was to kind of like work through all the, the emotional wounds of trauma. And then I was like, all right, I got this, I got life, like everything's great. <laughs> and then life throws you curveballs. You're just like, wow. Um, and so I would go to those coping skills of like, let me just focus on work and I'm achieving the next thing. Because I did have like this career path of junior year college, I realized I had to be a counselor, so I had to focus on studying for the GREs, I had to focus on getting into grad school. I always had like an academic or career focus, right? Um, until eventually like I would just crash. Like it was just, it would just be bad and I just wouldn't be able to do anything. Um, and that's when I knew, right? So I. 
gotten a little bit better of being more aware that something's coming on, that I'm feeling it's not just a sadness anymore, and something more serious might be happening, in which I go back into counseling again for my tune-up, as I like to call it, um, so that I'm not waiting until things get really bad. And, and Tanya, Tanya, for you, uh, you work a lot with the African-American community and um, helping to build, uh, foster healthy relationships in the workplace and talk to people who normally wouldn't have had access to those resources. Um, Triana just spoke to that, not speaking about these things in her family upbringing. Was it the same for you, or do you remember your oh, first yes. experience? Oh, yes. So my father is from Lagos, Nigeria, and my mother is from Jackson, Mississippi. So truly African-American, <laughs> I am. Um, and so yes, no, like mental health therapists, counselors, that is not a language that it was part of our um, vocabulary. And when you were talking, you know, I was nodding your head, you know, if somebody has a mental health issue, um, the, the kind of behind the scenes crazy idea, but more than crazy, I think, was that they're not, they're not, they're weak, like they're not strong. You know, like if you have a mental health issue or illness, it's because you're not you're not strong. Um, and so that was just kind of what it it was. Like the sky's blue. This is just how it is. Um, um, growing up, and so it wasn't until later on, you know, kind of getting into the field, I could say, oh, that those are some of the lessons, you know, that I learned, that I was taught, that I believed, um, and had to kind of unpack. And you have a family now of your own. How do you break those cycles? Um, well, I think, you know, because of the work I do, I talk about therapy like it's a good thing. Um, I talk about mental health, uh, like physical health. And, you know, I've kind of, I go back and forth. So when I started the company in 2004, the stigma in the black community was so strong that people would say, you're a great therapist, Tanya, but I'm not going to refer to you because then I would have to tell people I'm in therapy. And so we've seen that shift. Like now we're getting a lot of word of mouth referrals, which I think is which is, is great. But when we weren't, I stopped saying mental health. I started saying, and I stopped, I stopped saying mental illness because I thought if those words are so off-putting, I'm fine to use something else. Um, so I would say emotional wellness, and I would say, you know, take care of your heart. Um, and so with our kids, I kind of do all of that. You know, we'll talk about mental health, we'll talk about emotional wellness, we'll talk about taking care of your head and your heart just like you would your body. Ellen, for you, do you remember your first experience with mental health and identifying it? Yeah, I think, like a lot of people have mentioned, like, when you first identified it as mental health, it was college, but then you realized, oh, it started a lot earlier. Um, for me, it was a lot of, anxiety comes out in a lot of physical ways, so for me, it was in, elementary school going to the nurse all the time with stomach ache and in high school I would like throw up because I'd be so anxious. So I think I had like every test possibly done because it just wasn't like it wasn't mental health related. It couldn't be. So it was basically like you have a stomach problem. You have like something's wrong with you. Um, so it was always very physical for me. But when I got to college I kind of like Googled things and realized like oh this is a mental health condition. Um, and I think that was well, very comforting to know that it was actually something about some like mysterious health <laughs> So you all work in organizations of some sort. Tanya, for you, you have your own organization. Um, what are some things that companies can do to create a safe space for employees to have open discussion about mental health or seeking help? Um, sure. Um, yeah. So I'm. I don't. Well, I don't own my company. I am employee number four. So uh, <laughs> I've been there since the beginning. And. We, since we are a behavioral health company, we obviously take, take it very seriously. Um, our founder founded the company after he was in the military and one of his soldiers took his own life when they came back to the U.S. Um, so that, like, that's a part of our story. It's the story you hear on day one, the story you hear during our interview. So it's a part of our company from day one. Um, and then what we do to make it normal is obviously we talk about it constantly because it's part of our product. So we are literally talking about anxiety and depression um, but as a company, we we do trainings. We all did mental health first aid training, which is an eight-hour training um, put on by the National Council of Behavioral Health. So we did that. Um, we did this week. We did QPR training, which is suicide-specific training, um, so we can be better better for our product, better to our coworkers, and also better as just people to the people that we know. Um, and then we also offer a like mental wellness benefit 
Um, so we do reimbursements for therapy, massage, acupuncture, basically anything the National Institute of Mental Health deems as something that you can use for treating mental health, we reimburse. So we're a little different because we're the helpers. Um, and when I say we're a little different, it doesn't mean we don't struggle. I don't, let me be clear. <laughs> um, but we spend so much of our time helping other people that the approach I've taken is I know you spend so much time helping other people, so you have to pay attention to yourself. So whenever we do supervision and people get weekly supervision, the we've kind of focused on what are you doing to take care of yourself. So we don't necessarily focus on mental health for ourselves, but we focus on self-care. And so it's part of the agenda. Like everybody says like how they're taking care of themselves. And if they're not taking care of themselves, like that's a piece of the conversation. Um, so that's one way that we kind of approach it. And then another way, and I just did this um, this year, is when we were updating our, our manual, our handbook, um, for, for time off, right? For taking time off. I don't let people carry it over. And I say it when they get interviewed, I say it you know, very intentionally, you have this time to use because you have jobs that are hard and life outside of here is hard, and so I want you to take your time to take care of yourself. So it doesn't roll over to encourage you to use it within this new year, and you get it day one, you don't have to earn it. Um, so that's kind of the approach, approach we take. And we also, I mean, we're constantly talking about depression and anxiety, so there's a way that we talk about it without it even being like, conscious. How do you hold yourself accountable for self-care? Oh, that's a good question. Um, speaking about it, honestly. So when I say, I'm not gonna come here and talk about self-care and not do it myself. And so the more speaking I do, the more it holds me accountable just because of like my own integrity is one piece of it. The other piece is I have very tangible people in my life if I am slipping, they will call me on it. Um, whether it is gentle or not so gentle, but they'll be they'll be the first to, you know how Monica can say, like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and so that holds me accountable when I can't see it or do it myself. So I'm gonna be visual and I feel like I remember the question, but can you say oh. more? <laughs> um, how can companies create a safe space for employees to talk about getting help or, or mental health in general? So, not, not making it invisible, not sweeping it under the rug. Um, and part of that then is just having like practices in place. So for us, self-care is something that we talk about supervision as well. Like every the supervision that's part of it, like okay, what's going on with work, but then also what are you doing with self-care? Um, and then when we have our staff training, sometimes we'll touch a little bit on things like that. Um, but yeah, oh, the other thing I would say, so we have book club, and book club tends to be something that is for like our personal growth that we tie it professionally, but we have been, uh, we love Brene Brown at Hopeworks, so there's a lot of talk there about being courageous, about vulnerability and shame, um, and I think those spaces for us have been safe to be able to share a little bit more of ourselves, um, so yeah, just making room for it. Yeah. Andrew, did you want to answer? Uh, yeah, um, so this is going to be just like a minor like plug for organizations. So I think it's really important for companies to in some way educate employees on mental health. I think a lot of companies are doing a great job with the physical side, the blood drives, the wellness programs. So if they go to the gym a few times a week, those kind of things and incentives that they get back. But many are a little bit behind with mental and emotional health. Um, but there are education platforms and programs that you can bring directly to your employees, like a Lunch and Learn. Uh, we actually do a corporate wellness program and mindfulness. Our wellness program is like 20, 25 minutes of the general mental health signs and symptoms, what to look out for for yourself and your own family, but also coworkers too. If they've been absent, if they've been there but not really working or not really like present, um, because something might be going on. We all go through struggles, we all have life when we go back home. Um, and then we have a real life speaker go in and share their own struggles, but also how they have good jobs, how what they do for coping skills. Um, Self-care is huge. Um, so they're, they're, I think that's really important for companies to keep in mind that there are those programs out there. And that's like breaking through that stigma. Talking about these things doesn't bring these things on. Um, if someone is struggling with depression and they hear about it, someone's struggling with an anxiety or, or anything, trauma, and they hear about it, they're like, wow, I'm not alone. There are other people that have struggled and are functioning and, and 
managing. So what what else can I do to help myself out? So yeah. I think that's that stigma, that barrier that people talk think talking about will bring about these issues, but it only allows more conversation and seeking help. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, we talked a lot about shame so far, um, and a lot of times, especially in the workplace, you don't want to open up about personal things that you're going through, which usually leads to some sort of mental health issue. Um, a lot of times, there might be things going on at home or in your relationship. If there is a team member or a young person Adrian, that you're working with that just seems to be having a bad day, and you want to intervene in some way, what is a good way to do that to where they feel comfortable talking to you or, or feel comfortable, or you feel comfortable approaching them about it without um, interfering too much? Anybody? Uh, I'll just say, um, the first thing you ask sometimes is the most important thing, not any and how you ask it too. Um, saying how are you can be really like huge, because how are you is pretty much whole life, like all of life, like what's going on in our lives. But if you ask the simple, adding a word to that, how are you today, um, can make it much more simple. Or like, wow, I'm really not well today, something's going on. And they might be more willing to share. I think I found that, that has been really effective for me in the work that we do. When we have students come up or employees, wherever, I just ask, how are you today? Like, what are you, what are you working on today? What can you do to help yourself? A coping skill, something you enjoy. And that simple uh, question can really start that with somebody who might be struggling. Um, for me, so there, coming from being a counselor, right, there's a power dynamic at play. And so I have to be very careful of being my authentic self, but I'm not going to, there's a power dynamic, so it's not group therapy, right? So I'm, I'm not going to dig deep into my traumas and say, hey, we share the same traumas um, when I'm trying to connect with a young person. But what I have always been open and, and honest about as a mental health advocate is that I've been on both sides, like on both chairs. Um, as a counselor and then as receiving help. And so I do, I don't shy away from sharing that at all with a young person. Um, and then there's just certain, I don't know, just certain words, metaphors, analogies, feelings to the pain, to whatever symptoms we're experiencing that I may share in that type of way that connects with that person, like feeling a void or darkness and things like that, that will let them know like I have empathy, I understand I've been there, without having to share like my personal traumas and trying to make it about me. Because um, I don't want the young person to feel like they got to worry about me or am I strong enough to hear what their pain is. Like, that's not what it's about. So that's what I try to do. I think kind of similar to Andrew, what we tend to do informally is to say, um, are you okay? Like, you don't seem like yourself. Um, and that could be verbally. Uh, and it also could be by text. You know, we're, we're really, we're busy. We're in between, you know, sessions. Like, you don't really have time to talk. And so it could be, you know, at the end of the day, like, I just wanted to see if you were okay because you didn't seem like yourself today. Yeah, I think for us, I mean, at a startup, you're with each other like 24-7 and you start to really know each other. Um, so you can almost, I mean, for us, it's almost to the point where like you can tell when something's wrong with someone. You just say like, hey, what's going on? Um, and generally, they'll, they'll share with you and like, we work it out together. <laughs> Andrew, for you, your background is in sports, and you were a student athlete at one point. Um, and you talk about how you felt a lot of pressure to perform, and that led to anxiety and depression for you. Um, how did you take the leap into getting professional help, which a lot of times is the hardest part for somebody to admit, first of all, admit that something's wrong and that they do need help. How did you take that leap, and can you give advice to other people who may be struggling with that? Yeah, so when I was struggling, um, I always shared it. When I share my story, uh, the counseling center was right across from the football locker room. I walked by this counseling center 20 times a day, and I was struggling with suicidal thoughts and self-harming. And not once did I think about knocking on that door and having a conversation. I haven't slept in three months. I didn't self-harm because I had the stigma. I thought I was a man. I thought I could get through this on my own. And I really thought this funk I was in would end on its own. I just didn't realize how accessible that was and how like a simple conversation saying, I'm not okay, I need help. And like realizing that that's not a weakness, it's a sign of strength, uh, was the hardest part to get to. Um, and, and that's what we always say to students and families is that seeking help is not a weakness. It's, it's, it is a sign of strength. It may not work right away. That first conversation may be the hardest and it might not get fixed for a while, but that first conversation, that first step is really important. Um, so have the courage to take that step because 
Um, it can only get better from there. You might find a contact that can really help. You talked about how you had your family's support at the time. Yep. Um, did you feel any type of backlash at all from them, or what was uh, their, did they have an initial reaction of judging you, or how did you feel initially with that? Uh, I, I first want to just say how lucky I was to have the support that I had, but of course there was some backlash and there was some confusion around what I was going through um, because of the stigma, whether that was a family member, a friend, teammates, coaches. Um, why was I depressed? I was a starting on the football team. I had a job lined up. I had a girlfriend. I had a really good life on the outside, and I did. I knew that, but something was wrong, um, and I didn't know how to explain it. And I needed desperate help. I think there might have been a chemical imbalance involved, and maybe an injury, the pressure. Um, but I think just finding those words and trying to continue to try to have that conversation was the hardest thing. But I eventually found those people that listen, and they are out there. And I think in any situation, um, even if that's not at home, if there's stigma, if it's hard to get through to someone at home where they're just completely not about it, find those people. We always say have three trusted adults. I think we all need three trusted adults our whole lives. I still have them today. Um, they're different now than they were when I was a teenager in college. But those are the people that we should go to, um, or at least have a conversation with. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Triana, for you, you work with you who a lot of times come from chaotic environments, especially at home. Um, so what are some of the common themes that you see with these young people? And what are the things that they're struggling with most? like generational and like family trauma in different ways with different types of like whether it's verbal abuse physical abuse sexual abuse then there's the trauma the environmental trauma they're in a dangerous neighborhood every weekend someone's shot or they've seen people shot in front of them um, and then there's the environmental traumas and stresses of like basic needs are being met um, so housing insecurity food insecurity um, yeah, so a lot of, of lack um, and lack of support. And then if the adults in their family are like the trauma is just being passed down um, and they're not breaking the cycle, um, there's a lot of like, well, this is just what it is. I'm just trying to figure out how to be, like how to live in it and be strong. Um, so there have been times when they talk to me and I'm like, yo, this, this is abuse. Um, and I called it out as that, and they're like, no, nah, my mama just don't play no games. Like, I just, you know, and it's just like, it's normalized. Yeah, yeah. How hard is it to dig through all of those layers in like a 30 minute <laughs> session, or counseling session? It's hard because, I hope works anyways, we can't, we don't provide counseling. Um, but we're a trauma-informed um, program, so we don't, we don't shut that out either. Like, we're not gonna silence any young person that opens up to us about like why they're having a rough day today. Um, and so it's a delicate balance of like, like allowing them to share and letting them know that, yeah, there are people that you can share and trust to like talk um, about this with. Um, and also like in our support, we're limited here, but I know some great people that provide even more for you if you're ready to start like healing. And, and Tanya, for you, your company helps uh, to cultivate healthy relationships, like I said, in the workplace. For your internal team that you work with, how do you cultivate those relationships, build morale, create a healthy, healthy culture there? I'm really selective about who comes to work with us. So we have a pretty intensive, like, homework <laughs> interview process, and I'm sure, you know, they're a flow, because when you have a good, when you have a good environment, you want to keep it. Um, so we're selective about who stays with us, who comes and, and stays with us. Um, we make sure we get together at least you know three or four times a year, all of us, to share a meal, uh, and that's it, nothing else. Like it's no no agenda. Like let's just go eat some good food. And every time we do it, we are laughing to tears. Like we have a good time with each other, uh, which is really good. Um, and then we'll kind of do some trainings together. So if somebody is speaking that we want to see, like, you know, we'll do a call out, like, do you want to go to this? And we'll all, you know, go together. Or actually, yes, two days ago, we had somebody come in and do mindfulness techniques specific to managing microaggressions, which was 
fantastic, right? With the work that we do, not just in, in counseling, but the consulting side, like we recognize the toll it takes on us. And so bringing somebody in to kind of teach us how we deal with it. Um, also surprisingly builds morale, right? Because people were really vulnerable, they shared who they were. Um, and I felt like there's people there I've worked with for years, and two days ago I learned something that not only did I not know about them, I never would have if we didn't have that opportunity. What is one key trait you look for when bringing a new person on in the team? So for us, you have to have a dark sense of humor. What is one of, what's one of yours? For us, you have to be willing to learn and adapt. Um, we are not perfect and never will be. And so if you come in and you think you know it all, then you're not a good fit for us. Um, and our work changes quickly. And so if, if having the same routine every day for the next five years is what is good for that person, they're not gonna be a good fit for us. Gotcha. And Ellen, for you, uh, Noraflow is a platform that doctors use to track the mental and physical uh, ups and downs of their patients. Can you explain a little bit more about that and what are the exact benefits on the patient side? Sure. Yeah, we have for clinicians, they have their own platform and then their patients have an app that they use. Uh, and through that is basically, you can best explain this through an example. So say you have really bad back pain and you go to a pain doctor. And because you have really bad back pain, you can't really move around that much, you can't work out, you become depressed. Uh, but your pain doctor doesn't know this. They just see you as a pain patient. They assign your physical therapy, they give you drugs to take, and you're probably not going, and you're not taking them, and they just ask you why, and you're like, I don't know. Uh, but with something like Neuroflow, they can see, like every morning, we ask, how did you sleep last night? How are you feeling today? Um, and you take screeners for anxiety, depression, PTSD, and you can also do your pain trackers in there too, so that way you're, you as a patient can see how things are affecting your, how your mental health affects your physical health, but also your doctor can see it, and that way they can adjust your treatment as needed. Um, and then we also provide the doctor a little bit of help in terms of giving the patients um, kind of guided paths to go on. So it'll be like, oh, you screened positive for anxiety. You might not even know what anxiety is. So like, here's a little video explaining what it is. Here's a worksheet. Here's a journal. Um, so that way, things that you know patients otherwise wouldn't get on their own from a regular MD, they can get from our technology. And if you know they still need a little bit of help, we help refer them out to therapists. What about for a person that is thinking of harming themselves or committing suicide? We talked about that earlier uh, before we started. How does the platform react or the doctor react? Yeah, this is the question we get from everyone. <laughs> uh, yeah, we think about this a lot um, because it's obviously a really big deal and it's one of those things where you know people say like what it's an interesting um, conversation to have with doctors because sometimes they don't they don't want to know because then the onus is on them to do something about it um, but for us within the app we have a ton of crisis resources where the patient just needs with one click it'll call the crisis hotline for them it will text the crisis text line for them um, we have LGBTQ and veteran um, resources in there as well, so like specific community specific, um, but then also if you're taking a questionnaire and you say that you're thinking about harming yourself, it will immediately alert your doctor, it'll send you to the top of their list, give them an alert um, so they know to reach out for you. And then one thing that we're really excited to work on is in the journaling portion of our app, we're integrating natural language processing, so that way if someone writes about wanting to harm themselves or anything that kind of sounds like that, our uh, platform will flag it. Gotcha. Um, Ty, you spoke a little bit about self-care earlier. I want to hear from everyone else. What are some things you do to uh, cope with or avoid mental exhaustion or burnout? I know it's impossible to avoid it, but how do you, how do you cope with it? Yeah, I can start. Um, coping skills are huge for me. I kind of sense when things are coming on. The three things that I like always turn to are one, family and friends, um, or like whoever's, whether it's co-worker, um, talking. Two, um, I love riding bikes. Physical activity is like huge for me. And I don't do it for my beach bod. I do it for my mental health. Like it, it's, I need it. I feel much better after I go to the gym or I go for a walk or play basketball. 
And then three, I know it's a little goofy, but frosted mini wheats saved my life at one point, and they're my comfort, comfort food. When I have a really bad day, I go out and buy three or four boxes of them. And it's not even the Kellogg's brand, it's the cheap stuff, it's the ShopRite brand, because it's better and cheaper. Um, but that's, that's when I'm eating those things, and I'm not thinking about anything else, I'm just like, man, these things are so good. And for this five minutes or ten minutes, I'm okay. We gotta and find a healthier alternative for you. I, I know, I know, it's like a lot of carbs and a lot of sugar, but like honestly, in moderation, it's okay. Yeah. I don't eat them every day, you know, sometimes I splurge, but, um, but those three things really help. Triana, what about you? Um, so for me, it's seasonal, right? So it's, the sun helps me out a lot. Um, and the times where I definitely was having, like experiencing like depressive symptoms, it being during the summer, springtime helped a lot because um, I would either go out and walk in the park. Like I do, it's weird. I don't, me and nature, I love the parks. I don't like bugs. Um, I like the sun, but I don't like sweating a lot. <laughs> so it's good for you. But it feels, yeah, on a day that I'm like really feeling down, it definitely gives me energy. Um, and, and so like going out on a walk with my dogs would be something like, I would know oh, I'm just gonna walk for them, but really it was for me. Um, there have been times where just, because office buildings too, especially if they don't have windows, that's difficult for me. Um, so there's certain jobs that I've had where I would go and sit in my car during the summer day, and it's like I'm just soaking in the sun, that helps a lot. Um, and then just having the people in my life that are holding me accountable because sometimes I can't have that awareness and other times I'm like busy, 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 work, work, work. Um, and so having them check me and then like, okay, what are we gonna do? You wanna go to the movies? Do you wanna go dance? Like, what are we doing? Yeah. Tanya, you, you spoke to it earlier. Do you have anything you wanna add about what you do for something? Yeah, well, I'm an introvert. So, um, and I know this about myself. So, and I also was raised as an only child. So all of that means I need a long time. <laughs> Like some people need air, I have to have time alone. Um, and given my life and my work, that's sometimes hard to do. So I make sure I carve out pieces of time to do that. Um, also, walking and being outside makes me okay. So if I'm feeling anxious, I will just walk, and I will just walk until I can get the anxiety anxiety down. Um, and then I actually don't spend a ton of time with friends. <laughs> I was actually talking to somebody about this today. Uh, as I've gotten older, my circle has intentionally gotten smaller. Um, and so, a few key people, um, and I'm okay with that. And I didn't realize it until um, Andrew mentioned it, my husband knows this, but uh, I love apples and peanut butter, but from Wawa, it's self-contained. <laughs> and, <laughs> I mean, literally, I was... I was out of town and I asked my husband, when you come pick me up at the airport, can you make sure that there's Wawa apples and peanut butter? Because it's my comfort. It's like I'm home, I'm safe, everything is okay. Right. Ellen, what about for you? Sure. Um, I feel like I've spent like years perfecting my routine. Um, so like on a daily basis, I have to work out every day. I find that if I like physically exhaust myself, my brain doesn't go as fast. Like I can calm my brain down during the day. Um, and I also, like, I'm also an introvert, so we have a meditation room at work, so I go in there for 20 minutes a day and just, like, sit in the dark and silence alone, because um, we work in an open office, so it's, like, a lot. Um, but <laughs> but um, one of the things that I found really helpful, especially working at Neuroflow, is I kind of, like, live my life as if I'm preparing it for someone else. Like, on Sundays, I make all of my lunches and dinners, so during the week, I just go out of the fridge. Um, I put out all of my clothes for the week, so every morning I just have to like pick up Monday's clothes. Um, and like, I'm not that organized. <laughs> and I have you part of work. I have like this ridiculous list that basically has all these reminders. Oh, wow. So I just come into work and like my calendar dings, and I know exactly what I'm doing. Um, and organizing all that helps you with your mm -hmm. wow. So like when you have a little bit of energy, you do it. So when you have no energy, you I would put it all until the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one of the things I think it's most damaging, uh, especially with social media and startup and entrepreneurship culture, is like that thought that you have to be grinding 24-7 and working every single minute of every day or you're not being successful. Uh, and I think it catches up to people in the long run. A lot of people think they can handle it, that their mind can handle it, their spirit can handle it, um, and their body, their physical body can handle it. Um, what are all your thoughts on the grind culture and 24-7 work? Oh, I can answer yeah, this. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's definitely 
that is what the culture is because that is what we do. Um, if you have a company and you don't work 24-7, it dies and you all give each other a high five and go home and work somewhere else. Um, so we definitely, you know, we work really, really hard. Um, it's only sustainable for a certain amount of time. You can kind of tell like at the one and one and a half year mark, that's when everyone kind of gets really tired. Um, so we, you know, we have company days off every once in a while where we basically like force you to be like, we're taking the day off, don't work today. Like, don't work today. Um, and we like try to do fun things every few months to be like, don't work right now. Be like, you will not work right now. Um, and one of the things that one of our founders is really good at is he's good at setting an example of being like, I am taking a vacation. I'm putting it on my calendar. I'm telling you all I'm going to vacation. Uh, yeah, it is. So I think we all try to set really good examples of like encouraging time off. So I think that is a hustle and grind. I can't stand it. Like when I see posts like, oh, I'm hustling, I'm grinding, I'm like, yeah, no. That is the, it is so damaging to physical health and mental health and you don't do, you can't do good work sustainable. You know what I mean? Um, and so that is something I think for me that has taken me to, because I totally bought into it, having to rework it and having to fight against it. And the way I fight against it is like, I don't read that stuff. Like I, I just have to stay away from it because it's too easy to kind of get into it. Um, and really, taking breaks so go you go to the meditation room like i'll go for a walk in the middle of the day um I'll, my team if they're we don't want therapists seeing 12 clients a day there are a lot of practices where that's fine because you're generating more revenue you're no we don't want you to do that so we're going to tell you stop don't do that <laughs> you know but i think um when you are counter culture when you are going against what everybody says is the way to do it, uh, I feel like I kind of have to put blinders on to protect myself from it. I blame Gary B. Do you know Gary B? Yeah. I blame him for a lot of that. <laughs> well, I think there are a lot of like founders that are in the media, and I think, um, you know, choose the information that is useful to you, but, like, I don't want to be Gary B. I don't yeah, want to be Mark Zuckerberg. Right. Or, like, I don't, I don't want to be that. I want to be me. I have two kids. I really like them. I want to spend time with them. I want to spend time with my husband. So if something doesn't get done today, they'll be tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So really just kind of living that out. Did you want to ask something? Well, I, I'm, traditionally the jobs that I've had in school and all that have, haven't been in startups or like I'm not an entrepreneurial mindset, but the like hard work ethic is definitely like ingrained in me. Um, and I think at Whole Works, we do a good job of checking each other. I'm like, hey, I think you need to take some time. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it, there is this like unspoken of like, we're here, you know, we're here for the young people. We gotta be here. Like, let me push through. Let me push through. Everyone else seems to be doing well and doing their job. I gotta show up and push through. So that's something that definitely um, is challenging for me to tell myself like, take a day. Like, it's okay. Um, because yeah, it's just. This unspoken um, comparison that everyone sees well put together, but we're just also focused and working so hard mm -hmm. because we believe so much in what we do. You're passionate. Yes, um, that that it takes someone else to, to like pause in that moment and say like, yeah, you gotta Only take some time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And just to echo that, I think I'm. I, I think deep down I was like high achiever, but not like grade wise and all those things and like sports sometimes. But like learning that it was okay to take a step back from things like responsibilities or stuff that I did involved even outside of my work or my school, wherever that was, was okay. And taking a step back from school a little bit is okay too for a couple days or whatever that is. And finding the things that you love to replace them to get like back on your feet and grounded is a good, is really healthy. And you mentioned social media a little bit. Um, we, we work and speak to students all the time. Social media is probably bigger now than it ever has when we were growing up, um, definitely and they grow up on it, and it's that perfectionism that they see on social media. No one posts bad days. No one posts, I'm, I'm really struggling. They post, I got a good grade, I have a good new boyfriend, I have this and that. So when we struggle, we see those things, and it definitely makes an impact on us. We see like, wow, everyone has something done. Why am I the only one struggling? So that definitely brings people down too a little bit, uh, and that's why we talk about it's important that everyone has baggage, everyone has their struggles and their 
their crosses the bear, um, and it's okay to take a step, step back and find what might work for you. How do you all measure impact in the work that you do? What are some of your KPIs? <laughs> I don't like that word. This guy over here loves KPIs. I think I got that from him. <laughs> I'll start. I'm just. So I was in accounting and finance before I started speaking for Minding Your Mind. I'm really lucky to have been like kind of removed from those KPIs. I was always like worried about all those things and get stuff done. So um, right now we kind of just track by students we reach and by presentations we do, which in what we do in mental health, it's prevention's hard to track and like recovery is hard to track too sometimes in numbers, but it is happening every day. It's happening by this conversation we're having right now. Who knows? It might take a little something and have a conversation or seek help. Um, but just for our part, for mind your mind, we did 1,450 presentations this past year, this school year, and reached over 200,000 students. Uh, we have 15 young adult speakers like myself. So I just think I'm really proud to be part of this organization. We also offer free services, free programs, assemblies to schools who can't afford a donation, which I think that's I'm, I'm why, why I'm part of this, because I know how much this could have impacted me, friends of mine, and a lot of people in every community around this area and beyond. A simple conversation of like well-being and seeking help and like hope can go a long way. So KPIs are, are a little bit behind the scenes in what we do, but uh, we still think about it sometimes. Yeah. Well, your, your personal measurement for impact, what would you say it is? Yeah, because I'm not a numbers person. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm not. But my dissertation is qualitative because I just, I'm not looking at numbers. I just, it, um, so personally, like, it is that. It's a story. Um, and for every young person that, continues to like show up and persevere continues to allow us to be there for them in whatever way we can and, and to help um, when we have a young person that kind of doesn't come in for a while and then they come back that's impact to me that's success um, so this is the relationships that we maintain with the young people I think for me um, it's people being able to live the life that they want to live. So when I see that in companies, when I see that in relationships, when I see that in individuals, that to me is what it is. Um, I think that when you can develop coping skills and remove some unnecessary stress from your life, when you have that um, ability to do so, um, that you can do what you're supposed to do in this world. Like, we're not meant to just go to work all day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, like, we're supposed to be doing something. And I feel like our busyness gets in the way of that. And so, to me, when we can help people develop those coping skills, then I feel like they get closer to whatever it is they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, uh, we have company OKRs, so we are very quantitative with everything that we do. Um, but, like, as a company, we obviously, you know, we have a product to sell, so. Our OKRs are around patient engagement, but also our patients getting better. Um, so it's really interesting to see, you know, patients who might have scored really severely for depression when they started using Neuroflow, and then like 71% of them are like mild, like six weeks later. Um, so seeing things like that is super motivating. And then also we have, along with our company OKRs for things like product, we also have them for our team. So things like. Did we do a team building event this quarter? We have to do one. Did we go out and talk to the community this quarter? Because we should. Um, so we like to you know, do our, our fun things as well. Awesome. Can you all just give one takeaway from the conversation for the people are listening? If you had to leave them with one thing, what would it be? Um, that this room right here and these people are hope. Um, they're, they're trying to find answers for people that may not have answers for themselves and I think that's I truly believe that there most people are good um, and I know there's a lot of bad all everything on the news but it's conversations like this it's you guys being here it's you putting on this this event um, that that is one step in the whole thing uh, of changing people's lives for the better so I think I definitely took that from, from today thank you um, I think my takeaway was from what you said um, Andrew about Asking for help or willing to accept help is like a courageous act. It's not a weak act. 
because um, I, I think about like how that's where the first step is um, towards that positive change in life. And so a big part of that is not just in like the work that I do in supporting young people, but just being courageous myself and being able to share um, and be authentic and the like not shine from. Um, experiencing depression and anxiety and things like that, or if I'm grieving, um, it, it takes, I don't want to do it sometimes, but so it takes that courage, because um, you don't know how the person's going to respond to you, right? Um, but I feel like it's my part in being able to just make it more of a conversation and to break the stigma, essentially, and talk about it more. So I think um, the idea of mental health is part of health. So we get an annual, you're supposed to get an annual checkup every year, right? There's that things you go to the eye doctor if you wear glasses, like there's things that you do. And so thinking of mental health in the same regard, not because there's a problem, not because you're in crisis, but because it's something like, you know, I think of my girls, how can I teach them just to pay attention to this, whether there's a problem or not? Yeah, I think something similar to that, um, like always thinking about coping skills for anything you're going through and to not think about mental health as like this thing over here. It's just your health. And it's like you don't only eat salad when you're obese. You should also like do good things for your mental health when you are, you know, fine. Um, so yeah, I think always, you know, working to be mentally healthy. Thank you all for sharing. Uh, does anybody have a question? question? You look like you have a question. <laughs>
wellness and all that stuff. But can you maybe share with me what what could that wellness check of that barometer test be from a mental health standpoint? And I asked the question twofold because I recently had a situation uh, that I was navigating with uh, a close family member, and um, I didn't realize that there was a struggle there because this family member is very close to me. Only when they were removed, when we were apart, did this sort of uh, skin get pulled out from the onion. So I don't know, I mean, maybe not just for yourself, but if anyone else wants to chime in on that, um, I'm curious to understand how that would be. And also, please don't leave me giving you all on my business cards. So I will talk to one of you. Thanks. I think you could do it internally and externally. So I think externally is the simplest way, frankly, right? You could go to a mental health professional and say, hey, I just wanted to have a couple of sessions to check in and and see if everything's okay or if maybe there's some you know more support I can get. I'm not coming because there's a problem, but I want to make sure I have the best coping skills for myself. So you could do that and just do a short few sessions. So I think that's a quick, quick, easy one. I think another one is to take some, take some time and do a self-assessment. So you might want to take a period of two weeks where you say you're going to track your, like Neuroflow, you're going to track your mood and you're going to track your sleep. And in a really simple way, was I feeling mad, sad, um, or glad today? Just really simple. And just take kind of a look at the, the two-week pattern and, you know, am I getting, you know, am I waking up feeling rested? Those quick mad, not too many glad, then you might say, huh, what has been going on? Let me think a little bit more about this. Do I want to talk to a friend? Do I want to talk to a family member? Or do I want to actually talk to, to a professional? So it could just be something that simple that you put on your calendar at minimum once once a year, but you could do it you know, twice a year. You could do it four times a year just to kind of see if you're on track. And I think if you do the mood check-in and the sleep check-in, that's a those are just really good like those are really good indicators when you are okay and when you're not. Simple ones too. Can I add something there? Um, yeah, the basically healthcare as a whole, like in America, is moving towards this behavioral health integration model. So it's exactly what it sounds like. It's you'll go to your primary care physician, you'll get your blood pressure, your weight, your blood test, and be screened for anxiety and depression. Um, so that way they have the snapshot in time to see how you were doing. Well, even though it's just one day, um, they can see that. And then if you have a doctor that uses something like Neuroflow, you'll then be you know given this app where you can put in your mood and sleep every day. You can take screeners every few weeks or few months. So that way your doctor will be able to see this you know, this either upwards, downwards, or just regular trend for you. So they can kind of give you a poke if like, hey, I've noticed that you're not doing too well, but it's something that, you know, has been happening gradually that you might not have noticed yourself. Um, I love hearing that. I was hoping you, someone would know a little bit more about that, but I do know that some organizations, colleges, libraries do check up from the neck up. And it's pretty much like a screening, just like you would get a blood test or you know whatever high blood pressure, um, and it goes through the screenings of anxiety, depression symptoms. And if you're flagged, you might need to go talk to a counselor at that school, or sometimes there's like counseling staff on hand at a library or something like that. So I hope these things continue because it's it's really important. We all have physical, mental, and emotional health, and just like you know, we get go to a primary care, or we might get a check in every other year or whatever. I think it's important to get the same check-in with our mental health too. So that, that was a great question you brought up. Yep. Are there any other questions? <laughs> Hello, my name is Nadia. Um, this is sort of a carryover from the question you asked. If you identify that your workplace is not good for your mental health, culture fit, etc., what kind of advice can you give as you transition into a new role in a new environment? Boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. <laughs> so if you know you're planning to leave, you want to still do your job well so you don't burn any bridges, but you want to go to work. And I love how you have like your checklist so you know what you're going to get done that day at work. You're going to take a break for lunch. You're going to leave work to have lunch so that you're not in there during your personal time. You're going to come back and you're going to do your tasks and then you're out. Do you know what I mean? Like that if you're planning to leave and it's not a good spot for you, that that's part of you kind of detangling yourself from it and just letting work be work as you're preparing to leave. 
but still getting the job done so that, you know, <laughs> so you can always put them on your resume. <laughs> I went through the same thing with, with my mother, so I can, I can see how that um, 
she probably had it looked at you a little different after that. So definitely, anybody else? Awesome, well those are great answers. Thank you all for sharing your stories. Um, thank you for everyone who came out. Oh, sorry, yeah, one more. One more. One more. <laughs> I actually have two questions. Sorry. Um, one is, do you have any advice for those who are thinking negatively for being diagnosed with a mental disorder? So I, so the benefit of diagnosis, because I can tell you all the cons, but the benefit of diagnosis is now you can have a game plan, you know? It's like I have a thyroid condition. Once we figure that out, like, oh, now there's all these ways we can look at to treat it. But before you know it, you're just kind of grasping at straws. And so I think the, to kind of shift negative thinking, like having a diagnosis means can have a plan and you can get um, specialized support as needed. Do you, do you know what I mean? So when you need support, you can go to somebody who's like trained in working with this diagnosis. Like, I'm not gonna go to the heart doctor for my thyroid condition. Do you know what I'm saying? And like, you have that information now. Anyone else have one? Yeah, it just, uh, it took, it takes people a long time to get to that place of acceptance that, it, wow, I am struggling with an eating disorder, I am struggling with PTSD from trauma, like I need to be treated now, like, um, but if I, I think many people can relate, if I had a broken leg, if I stabbed my leg, I would go to the hospital, get surgery, go to PT. If I had diabetes, I would get treated. If I had cancer, I would try my best to get to the best hospital and if whatever I could afford and get help. It has to change. It has to change with mental health too. It's not a weakness. There's no shame, there's no blame. Um, however it happened, whether it was because of reasons or upbringing or environment or nothing at all, um, let's get a game plan. Let's figure it out or let's try your best to accept it. It's hard. Um, and then go forward from there and try because that's hope that, that it will get better and it's treatable and manageable. So getting in there can be hard, but keep, keep trying your best to get there. And it's just a piece of you. I think I just want to add that. Like it's not all of you. Your diagnosis isn't who you are at all. It's a piece of you, and so to remember it as such. Did you have one more? Yeah. Um, my last question would be, do you have any advice for those combating a mental illness that hinders their work? Um, I think for, for us at Neuroflow, if you, we're very open. Like that is one of our core values is be open and honest, communicate all the time. There's no such thing as too much communication. Um, so as long as you communicate things, you know, you don't like get in trouble or anything. So I think if it's affecting your work, what you need to do is, you know, realize that it's affecting your work. Go to your supervisor, in our case, we go to the founders and we just tell them what's going on. Uh, and then also realize that, you know, these people are running a company. So it's always good to go with a plan of like, I'm not doing well. I'm going to go see my therapist for the plan. You with this plan, it might involve like taking a day off once a month or doing, you know, trying out a new medication. So maybe you might be, you know, a little, you know, you might have a side effects or like be a little different for a week or two. Um, so I think if you are trusting enough of the people that you work with, being open with them and but also coming with a plan, that's generally received really well. That's your last question. Awesome. Well, thank you guys again for sharing your stories and your expertise. Thank you for everyone that came out and uh, joined your Thursday night with us. <laughs> uh, rainy, well, it was a rainy Thursday night. Um, and thank you, Scott, again, for, for hosting us. Have a great night, everyone. Thank you.